Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're at. We've been in this series for quite a while, Custom Made Calling. Today, um, a number of years ago, there was a, a book Bob Hamp wrote called Think Differently, Live Differently. If I were going to steal a title, I would steal his today. If I were going to title this message, I would say that's a great title. Think differently, live differently. We're going to talk about the thinking part today, and over the next several weeks, we will talk about the living part, how it changes the way we live, what we practice. But practice is always, the precursor to practice is thought. It's what we believe. It's it's what's going on on the inside that changes what happens on the outside. We often try to go the reverse. We try to change the outside, hoping it's going to change the inside. It rarely works that way. We change, God wants to change the inside, and then he changes the outside. He changes the practice. So we get into Ephesians chapter 4 today. You'll notice, and we're going to start in verse 17. Uh, it says, now this I say, uh, the, the word now there, the ESV translate, is the same word that in verse 1 of this chapter is translated therefore. Uh, some other translations translate it so ESV translates it now, um, but it's that same word that you have up in the very first verse that says, therefore, where it's, it, 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 it's denoting a transition. Something's changing. He came out of these first three chapters where he's explaining to us the riches of Christ, the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. And then he makes this switch and he starts talking about the body. He talks about unity of the body. He talks about gifts given to the body, how the body's building itself up. So we've been talking about that in the first 16 verses of chapter 4. And then he gets to chapter, or verse 17 and he says, therefore, again, except it's translated a little differently, but the same word. Here's another transition, if you will. He's changing. Now it's important to see what he's transitioning from. Those first 16 verses really are about unity and the body. It's about collective. It's about us together growing together, building one another up, the gifts that are, are given to us and are used in a together kind of way. But as he gets to verse 17 in the next several verses as we go through this, this is more individual. It applies to the whole, but it's very individual. It's very much about you and me. It's very much, okay, we've talked about things that, that lead to unity, but this is something that's really crucial and vital that you understand about your own personal life and walk. Now look at the verse with me. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. The word testify there is martyr. It's the Greek word where we get martyr. What Paul is saying, he's putting an emphasis on here and he says, this isn't just my opinion. This isn't just some random thought I had. Paul will tell you that at times in some of his writings. He says, this isn't necessarily a command of the Lord that I'm speaking to you, but this is more of my thought and what I believe the Lord is saying here. And there are places in his letters where he'll say that. Here he's saying, I don't want you to misunderstand. This is the Lord's testimony to you. This is his witness to you. This is what he's saying. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now this is not an ethnic or racial thing here. Gentile here is not referring to all of us who are not Jewish. That's not the distinction. He's making a distinction here between those who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ and those who are not. And in this, in this context, he's calling them Gentile. Those who are not believers and followers of Jesus Christ, they're Gentiles. 
Those who are, are not Gentiles. And so he's saying, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you must. Christ's testimony to us is we must no longer walk as Gentiles. Now, some of your translations, I think NIV and some of the others translate it live, which isn't a bad translation. I like walk personally. Live kind of, it does encompass all of life, but I like walk because it refers to practice. It makes me think how I'm walking it out, what I'm doing day by day, day in and day out. That my walk has to be different than it once was. Now, most of the time when we hear this, because we have been trained, we have been religiously trained, whether you grew up in church or not, you still have religious influence in your life, whether you know it or not. Because we all, whether we grew up in church or whether we didn't grow up in church, we have this moral code, whatever the moral code might be. It's been taught to us. It's been ingrained in us. This is the right thing to do. This is the wrong thing to do. And it usually is based on outward action. And so you don't do I've shared this before. I grew up in a church culture. The little saying, they taught us when we were little. I mean, for a little kid, don't drink, smoke, and chew, and go with girls that do. All right? Okay, so that was this moral code that we had. It was bad to do these things. All right? That's not what Paul's talking about here. He's going to get to that. Later on in this chapter, he's going to talk about put off, and he's going to talk about certain things we put off and things we put on. But that's not where he's at right now. So don't go there. Wait a few weeks down the road until we get there. Don't go there now. Paul is talking about something much deeper than just don't drink, smoke, and chew, and go with girls that do. Much deeper than that. He says, notice this, don't walk as the Gentiles do this last phrase is so important, in the futility, in the emptiness, in the vanity of their minds. He's talking about the way they think, not what they do. He says, I want you to be aware of how you think when you think Christless, when you think godless, when you think without God, without Christ, how you thought before you knew Jesus. Now, here's the thing that I have wrestled with for a while in this passage. Most teachers and commentators and things, when I look at this, we'll go through this next list that I'm going to show you, and they will say, this describes a lost person, and it does, because that's what he's saying. This is how Gentiles, this is how people who don't know Jesus, this is how they think. This is what that looks like. This is what they're struggling with. But here's the thing that none of them that I listened to or read brought, and it has stirred in me for weeks, He's warning us as believers not to do this, which leads me to believe that even though I have believed in Jesus Christ, I have accepted him, I, I want to live or follow him, that there's the possibility for me to make choices so that I think just like somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That's a, that's a sobering thing. It's, I, it has stirred me. It's like, Lord, am I, am I missing this in some way? Because I believe... I believe grace. I believe that I am a new creation in Christ. I believe that old things are passed away and I have become new. I believe that I have God the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I believe that I am a child of the King. I believe that I'm a joint heir with Jesus. I believe all of those things. But if I'm reading this correctly and I have wrestled with it and looked at other places, even all of that being true, there's the potential for me to think as though none of that were true. And when I think that way, then I live that way. And Jesus' command to us, his testimony to us, you must no longer walk 
as those who don't know me. You've got to think differently. So what does this thinking look like? What does this Gentile thinking look like? Look at the next verse with me. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. And I'm going to leave this verse up here for a moment because we're going to go in reverse order because what Paul does, he often does in his writing. In the previous verse, he tells you the overall general problem that Gentiles think in the futility of their mind. The way they think is empty. It's purposeless. They don't understand true meaning. If you don't know Jesus, that's how you think. And then he begins to break it down. He breaks it down and says, there are components to that. But, and, it, and he's building a case, but the last point is really the root cause. The hardness of heart is the root. And all these other things, you'll notice that because notice how it says, because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They're not ignorant, and by the way, we're going to talk about it in just a minute. He's not talking about ignorant in the sense of you don't know anything. We'll, we'll talk about it in just a moment. But he says the root problem is a hardness of heart. So we're going to start there, and then we're going to work backwards. Hardness of heart. This is how Gentiles think. This is how they're motivated. This is their whole worldview comes from this hardness of heart. I spent a lot of time saying, Lord, what is hardness of heart? The, the Greek here, literally, uh, we get petrified. This idea of something that's, uh, it's a rock, or something that's hard, it could be harder than metal. But it's, you can't permeate it. You can't penetrate it. You can't get through to it. It is rock hard in the sense that I'm set on a path and I'm unopen, I'm unwilling to hear, to entertain, to respond to anything else. As I just was meditating on it, the word that kept coming to my mind over and over again is pride. Hardness of heart, I think, is synonymous with pride in the scripture. An arrogance that says, I'm doing life on my terms. I'm doing life my way. You say, well, you can't be a Christian and believe that. I don't see how you can follow Christ and believe that. I don't see how you could ever get saved and believe that. But there seems to be this danger that we have, even as believers, that I can make that initial step of faith, but my heart can be hardened so that I'm not willing to listen. I don't want to know what Christ wants for my life. And I only want it if it lines up with what I want for my life. There's this hardness that says, I'm not going to submit to that. It often works itself out in practice, in actions, in things that we do. I'll never forget standing in a Wendy's parking lot over here on Malabar Road with another elder. This was years ago. And we had gone to talk to a man who was part of our church at that time. And because we had called several times and reached out and reached out and there was no response. And so finally we just went, I knew it worked over there and so we just went one day and sat in the parking lot and waited for him to get off work. And he was coming out, um, said, hey, we really do need to talk to you. We can go somewhere. He's like, no, let's just do it right here. And the reason we were there to talk to him is because he had started a relationship with another woman in our church who was married to somebody else. And 
we were there to, to talk about this. Say, hey, this is what we've heard. This is, and we want to confirm, first of all, this is true. And if it is true, to talk about why this has to stop. This violates the standard that God has for us and the sanctity of marriage. And we're going to talk more about marriage as we get into chapter 5. But marriage isn't a contract. Marriage is a covenant. And God takes it very, very seriously. Probably more seriously than we realize sometimes. And so we were trying to have this conversation. And he had one, to everything that we shared, every, every, and, we, and again, we were trying to be as gracious as we knew how to be and looking at some of the scripture and say, this is not our opinion. This is what the word of God says. And he had one answer to everything we said. I love her. I love her. And it's like, you know, first of all, I'm not sure that's true, but even if it is, it's irrelevant. All right? Because Scripture says, as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is how we are to walk. And over and over again, and no matter which direction we came, there was a hardness. There was a heart that said, I am going to do life my way. I don't care what anybody says. I'm going to do it my way. That's hardness of heart. It's a dangerous place to believe, and it is my belief, and I could be wrong, but I don't know any other way to read this, that even as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're in danger of having a hard heart. Even though we are a new creation, even though we have received new life, we don't have to walk this way. We don't have to have a hard heart. It's not God's intent that we do, but it sure seems like we can. And so that's the reason sometimes people will come to me and they are demonstrating this hardness of heart and people will say, do you think they really ever got saved? I don't question whether people ever got saved. That is not my job. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in them. God knows, all right? That is not my job. But I can say sometimes, I don't know whether they're saved or not saved, but if they are, they're still demonstrating hardness of heart. That is something that we can see. Hardness of heart leads to ignorance. It's not an intellectual ignorance. I had a conversation with someone this week who had a hardness of heart and ignorance, but they were intellectually bright, sharp, could converse well, well-read. He's not talking about ignorance of information. He's not talking about you don't know anything. He's not calling, you know, another great, he's not calling you a moron, all right? He's simply saying you are ignorant of spiritual things. You're ignorant of the way God, you are God ignorant. You don't understand him. You don't understand how he works. You don't understand how he operates. You don't have the revelation that he gives that you can't know. This is the reason Paul says in another one of his books over in 1 Corinthians, he says these things are spiritually discerned. The natural man doesn't understand them. They're spiritually discerned. They don't make sense often to the natural man. I remember reading years ago, um, uh, Shadow of the Almighty. I don't know if any of you have read that, but Elizabeth Elliot uh, had written about her experience down in South America and her husband and, of course, the four other men who were killed um, by the Alka Indians there. And this was, I think, in the 50s or 60s. And the response, the newspaper response back here in the States when word of this what happened when it came back. The newspaper, many of them said, what fools these men were. These young men, they wasted their lives. All of them were in their 20s, if I remember correctly. 20s, early 30s. 
And yet they had a call and a belief that God had called them to this group of indigenous people who'd never heard the gospel. And they were doing every headhunters and cannibal people. And they felt like God had called them to here. He'd given them direction. And they were doing everything they knew under his direction to try to reach these people. And ultimately were murdered by them. The end of that story is God worked mightily in that, in that tribe. Many conversions, the gospel going back, not just in that tribe, but in other tribes as it began to spread. But it was after the death of these, these five men. But the newspapers are like, they're, they're fools. This makes absolutely no sense. And it, from a natural perspective, it makes absolutely no sense. From a God perspective, it makes perfect sense. I, I love what David Platt wrote in one of his books years ago. Radical, I think it was. We often say that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. He said, I don't think that's true. He said, it's often the most dangerous place to be is in the center of God's will. But it's still the best place to be. I agree with him. I don't think it's the safest place to be, but it's the best place to be. If it's safe, then there are whole parts of this Bible we should just take out. Like chapter 11 of Hebrews. Just take the whole chapter out. You say, well, most of those turned out well. Have you read the end of the chapter? <laughs> he said, all these died in faith. Oh, that's Abraham and Noah. All these, oh, they, they all died in faith. And Sarah, she got the child. This is all good. He said, but many of them were thrown to lions and had their heads chopped off and were cut in two with swords. And they were burned and all of these different things. And they all died in faith. It didn't seem very safe for them to be in the center of God's will by our definition. See, what I'm telling you is if we're going to walk this way, Gentile thought process says that's foolishness. That doesn't make any sense at all. And Jesus is saying, following me probably won't make sense to your human understanding. Now, am I talking about foolishness and recklessness? No, I'm not talking about that. I'm reminded, I, was, I had a mentor one time that used to say, Daniel went to the lion's den, but he didn't volunteer. All right? He didn't run and say, you know, throw me in there. He was sent there because of what God called him to do. If I have to go to the lion's den, I pray for grace, but I'm not volunteering to go. Gentile thinking is going to be contrary to the way God wants you and me to think as believers. And so this ignorance isn't an intellectual ignorance. It's a spiritual ignorance. Alienated from the life of God because of this ignorance. They're alienated from the life of God. They're separated. I mean, we, the term alien gets used a lot in our country right now. It simply means you, have, you, you don't have rights. That's the big debate right now in our country. What rights, what privileges are we going to give those who aren't, quote, U.S. citizens? This, this is the whole debate with an alien or a foreign alien or someone who is here who doesn't, who doesn't have citizenship. So then we say, what rights do they have? And again, I don't have an answer to all of that. I'm just simply saying it's the same idea that Paul uses here. And he's saying because of this ignorance, they're alienated. They're not experiencing. So you don't have those rights before you come to Christ. But if you come to Christ and you're still thinking like a Gentile, you're not living in those rights. You're not experiencing them. You can have them and not have any, the experience of them, the blessing of them. I can have a fortune and live like I don't have a penny. 
alienated from the life of God, and then it says darkened in their understanding. They just can't see. Sometimes when we're dealing with one another and you think, why can't you see it? Why can't they see it? Sometimes it's because our understanding has been darkened. But often that starts at a place where my heart was hard. So Lord, I want to do this on my own terms. So now I'm spiritually ignorant because I want to do it on my own terms. So there's spiritual revelation I don't have because I'm demanding to do it on my own terms. Which leads me to a place where I'm not experiencing the rights and the privileges that I have as a citizen. And so now when I look out, I see darkness. I don't see light. That is a very difficult description. Disturbing in some ways. It caused me, as I've been pondering and meditating on it, it's like, Lord, do I do that? And the Holy Spirit quickly spoke back to me and said, sometimes, sometimes you do. Sometimes your heart gets hard because you're just going to do it your way. And then because of that, you don't have revelation because you've already determined to do it your way. And because you don't have revelation, then you're not living in, you're not experiencing the, the abundance of all that you have in me because the first three chapters of Ephesians told us all of our riches in Christ, all that's ours. And the first part, chapter four, tells us all these gifts that we have and the way that God's working in us and how much Jesus has given to us. But he says, but if the heart gets hard, demands its own way, then ignorance follows, lack of spiritual revelation, lack of experiencing the riches that you have, and then ultimately you just can't see. You're darkened. How do I avoid this? How do I not live this way? I think of that phrase, how then shall we, how now shall we live? What, what are we supposed to do? I don't want to think this way, Lord. I want to live in the riches that you have for me. So how does this take place? The passage goes on. Look at the next verses with me. Oh, it gives us some more before it gets to the answer. <laughs> it gets a little deeper before we get to the answer. They have become callous, another way of saying hard. So he says the hardness of heart is this root. Callous is another way of saying this hard heart. This is what leads them giving themselves to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now again, let me stop here for a moment. We read passages like this and we automatically think, okay, sexual sin. Sexual sin is devastating. But that's not all that this incumbent is. As a matter of fact, the words here, um, some of the older translations, um, instead of saying greedy, they say lust. And we hear lust and we think, oh, that's sexual again. Lust is way broader than just sexual sin. Lust basically is just this desire for something, this inordinate desire out of balance. You can be lustful in your ego. I want to be significant. I want to be recognized. I want to be praised. I want to be the one. That's lust too. There's sexual lust. You can lust after stuff. Not just people, but stuff. I gotta have that. I gotta have it now. I'll sacrifice whatever, but 
that's, there's lust in that. And the greed, he talks about, greed to practice every kind of impurity. It's broader than just one thing. You think, well, I'm good. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not involved in porn. Okay, I'm good. No, it's way broader than that. It's a heart that says, I want what I want, and I want it for me. Now, here's a challenge that we're going to come across every single day of our lives. We live in a culture that praises that attitude. We live in a culture that says that's the way you're supposed to be. You set your goals, you go after them, and you run over anybody that gets in your way. People are either helping you get there, or they're your enemy. That's Gentile thinking. That's godless thinking. There was an article this week of a Christian leader criticizing another Christian leader. And they went on to say that the reason they were criticizing this Christian leader and others like them is because they want power for themselves. And it's not their right to have it. They want the power of being a pastor or they want the power of being the one spiritually in charge they don't want to go be a plumber all right by the way there's nothing wrong with being a plumber plumbers a great profession and if your toilet stopped up they've got all the power all right I'm telling you you've got something leaking and you can't shut it off they got power but here's the thing as this was being shared, I thought, wait a second. If as a believer, regardless of who you are, but if your desire as a believer is to have power, there's something wrong. Something bad wrong. If my desire in pastoring or leading a church is to have power, then you ought to fire me. Because Jesus said he surrendered all that he was. He emptied himself of power. He emptied himself of all the stuff the world says you got to hold on to. He said, I became the servant of all. Now, do you have responsibilities? Absolutely you do. But not power. This runs deep in our culture, both in the secular setting, using that term, I don't love it, but it, it, it's, you understand it. And also within the church. We've done the same thing within the church. We've set up, we've taken the world's pattern and we've set up goals within the church and said we don't know exactly how to prove that we're successful and significant but these seem like some measurable things that we can see so when we accomplish these things then we will know we're successful. Then we'll know we're significant. We have this many people or this much money or this many programs or this, these kind of outreaches or ministries then we'll know we're successful but we've just taken the Gentile way of thinking. The most, in my opinion, the most successful believers who have ever lived, you have never heard of. You've never heard of them. They're the ones that Hebrews 11 was talking about. They died in faith. They were cut in two with a sword and burned, pulled apart, torn asunder, it says. That's a nice King James way of saying they literally stretched them and pulled their limbs out.
We've got to challenge the way we think, folks. I do, you do, we have to challenge it. Assuming, now he goes on, I'm sorry, right before that, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Hallelujah, that's not the way we learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Now I want to stop there. Notice here in the ESV how it says, have heard about him. Most of the modern translations translate it that way, have heard about him. The NIV, the New Living, different ones, they translate it that way, many of our modern translations. And I like the ESV. I normally use it. I put it up here. That's our our pew Bible, if you will. I use that. It stands for English Standard Version. I think it's a good translation, and I like it. I don't like it here, all right? Um, Your New American Standard, New King James, the Old King James, translate this, I believe, more accurately if you go back and look at the original text. And I'm not quite sure why the translators translated it here this way. Assuming that you have heard him is the way it literally reads. Not heard about him. It makes all the difference in the world whether you heard him or heard about him. All the difference in the world. Assuming that you heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Really, you were taught by him. You heard him. How did you get saved? How were you born again? How did you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ? How did that happen in your life? If I sat down, if we had the time to go around and share everybody's testimony, you would say in your own words, I heard him. You may not use those words, but that's what you would say. You'd say, well, I was in this meeting and I just had this, I can't even explain it. It was just something within that said, this is true and you need Jesus. You heard him. That was the spirit drawing you. That was God speaking to you. You heard him. How do I know this? Romans 10 tells us, faith comes one way, by hearing. Hearing by the word, by the revelation of Jesus Christ, literally. You heard him, and you were born again because you responded to what you heard. By his grace, by his working in you, this happened. You heard him. How do you keep walking so that you don't have Gentile thinking? How do you keep growing and you're being transformed in your thinking so that you think like Jesus and you respond like Jesus? The same way. Colossians 2, 7 tells us that. It says the same way that you came to Christ, so walk in him. How did I come? I had faith because I heard. So how do I walk now? I have faith because I hear. I hear him. You say, Troy, how do you hear him? whole messages in and of itself in simple form I have a heart first of all that's not hard that says I want to hear him because sometimes we don't hear him because really I only want him to tell me what I want to hear if he has anything else to say I'm not interested my children do that sometimes to me of course they're they got it honestly they got it from their mom all right I'm kidding I'm kidding. Anybody that knows, Lori knows. If they got it from anybody, they got it from me. Sin runs through the Father for sure in this case. All right? I want to do it my way. I only want to hear what I want to hear. I have found the most difficult thing in hearing God in my life has been getting my heart to a place where I really want to hear him, what he has to say. That's the most difficult thing. Once that battle is won, the rest is usually pretty easy. 
my heart softened. Lord, I want to hear what you have to say. Now, the second part of that is because you walk right back through this process in reverse. So my heart is soft. Lord, I want to hear what you have to say. The second part of that is, Lord, I recognize that it's going to probably seem strange to me when I hear it. Because it's spiritual, not natural. It's godly, not fleshly. It's reverse, usually, from everything that I understand about how everything works. So I'm prepared for that. I'm prepared. So when I'm angry with someone because they, they hurt me, they offended me, maybe they said something, maybe a coworker, or maybe your spouse, maybe a family member, whatever, they hurt me. All right, Lord, they hurt me. What do you have to say about that? And it better agree with what I'm thinking right now. You know, because they need a piece of my mind. So, Lord, that's what I'm thinking. I know that's what you're thinking, too. They need a piece of my mind. I need to set them straight. I don't deserve this. I hate that phrase. It is so common in our day. I don't deserve this. You deserve worse than this. And so do I. If we got what we deserve, this is an empty room, folks. No, I was given what I don't deserve. That's why we call it amazing grace. So, if I receive that, then what is it the Lord wants to do? He says, I want, because of all these riches that I have placed within you, I've placed my spirit within you, literally God in you, transforming, working in you and through you, so that you can do for others what I did for you. You can forgive because I forgave. Is it easy? I don't think so. Well, not when I read the account of Gethsemane and what Jesus went through before he was crucified. I don't think it's easy. But there is power there to transform us so that we can think in a new way. But it's coming. It's spiritual. It's, it's revelation. It's something that is not the way I would normally do it. And then... Because that happens, I'm receiving, I'm operating in the power that is already mine. I am drawing, I think of it this way, I am writing checks on this account that is already in my name. Wouldn't you love to write checks on Bill Gates' account instead of yours? Wouldn't that be fun? Just to go out, just for a week, I'm just going to write checks on Bill's account, not mine. You got better than Bill Gates. He got better. So now I'm writing checks on his name. And the power that goes along with it. And I'm no longer dark and now I begin to see what I couldn't see before. Now again, this is where my Gentile thinking wants to come back in. I want to see immediate results that work out great. I want it to be, have a happy ending. I want me to be completely exonerated and justified. I want all of that. And it doesn't always, matter of fact, I would say rarely looks that way. But you begin to see something more. I heard it around the table this morning in prayer as I heard someone praying about a relationship. And they were praying for this other person and they were wanting God just to, just to continue to move there and open their eyes and pour out grace and just do a work in all of it. Very legitimate prayer. Very legitimate way to pray and desire for that. But as they were praying, I had this thought. 
And I just kind of smiled inside and I said, Lord, they can't even see right now that the very thing they're praying for, you are doing in them. Amen. You're doing it. They can't see it right now. It's hard to see because this is so messy. And it's so, ugh, you know, ooky. That's not even a word, is it? But it's just, you know what I mean. It's just, yeah, it's just yuck. But God's doing the very thing in them that they're praying that God would do in someone else. That's, that's miraculous. That's transformative. That's, that's what Jesus does. But you hear him. You hear him. I want to sh- share this thought as, as I kind of wrap this down. I would challenge you. You say, Troy, I'm not sure that I'm really great at hearing the Lord. Well, join the club, okay? There are times where I, I, I feel like I'm better at it than at other times. But something switched a number of years ago in me, and most of the time it's true. Not always, but most of the time it's true. Most of the time, I really do want to hear what Jesus has to say, even if I don't like it. Most of the time that's true. I would be lying to you if I told you I was always there. But most of the time it's true. That was a switch. That was something that God had to do internally. I really want to hear what you have to say, Lord, even if I'm not going to like it. And then this other switch had to come because I have spent my whole life around this Christian thing. All right? I, almost, I could almost say I was born in church. It wasn't quite that literal, but close to it. I spent my whole life around church, organized church as we know it. Some people would call it religion. I understand how this thing operates, at least in Gentile thinking. What I rarely experienced was what it looks like when Jesus does the thinking. So I'm having to unlearn a lot of stuff. And you will probably find that is your experience as well. The more you're listening for Jesus, you're going to find you're probably going to have to unlearn some stuff. It isn't what you don't know. It's what you already know that's wrong. That's often the, the obstacle. So be aware. Be alert to that. Be aware of this unlearning process. And then there's, there comes this place of surrender. like, Lord, I don't think I can do that. So I'm really counting on you. And I don't know what that means, but I surrender to you doing what I don't think I can do. Matter of fact, I'm pretty confident I can't do. I was talking to a guy this week that we were trying to help. He'd gotten out of prison. He was trying to get somewhere. We were having a conversation. And I was trying just to share Jesus with him and some beliefs and what God's done in my own life. And he was resistant and, you know, had his own thoughts and all. And, and um, kind of combative in a little way. I mean, not bad, just, you know, just, I don't know. I don't know a good way to describe it. Just not very open. And so finally after a while he said, I hope I'm not offending you. But, you know, I was like, no, you're not offending me at all. I said, I don't really have any skin in this game as far as me getting a certain result. You believing a certain way. I don't lose or gain anything either way. I mean, I might gain a brother, but I don't lose anything in all of this. 
my purpose is not to try to get a convert and I don't have a belt where I put little marks on it. Like I got another one, you know, kind of thing. That isn't my goal. The only goal I have here is that quite a while ago, I encountered someone who radically changed my life and every day since keeps on radically changing my life. And I'd, I'd just like for everybody to know him. I'd like for you to know him. But I don't want to try to force you to believe something. In fact, I believe he's more than capable of revealing himself to you. I don't have to. But I said, here's one of the ways that I know that he's real. is because I'm sitting here taking time to have a conversation with you. First of all, I would have never done that before. Because you wouldn't be worth my time. I'm just being honest with you folks. I got things to do. People to see, places to go. And you don't fit into my schedule. You weren't on my calendar today. But he was on God's calendar. And there was this clear sense, stop and have a conversation. And then I would have gotten, in my Gentile way of thinking, I would have gotten done with this conversation. Think, Lord, that took a lot of time and had no results. Nothing good came out of that. But he has to change my way of thinking. Because I'm not responsible for the results. And then to be able to say, hey, we want to help you. You don't have to think just like me. You don't have to believe the way I believe. But God brought you across my path. I believe he spoke to me in a moment and said, if you can, in whatever way you can, help this guy. Again, that's not Troy. That's not me. I am not naturally. Some of you may be naturally bent that way. You want to help everybody you see. That is not me. Okay, I am not natural. I'm bent the other way. But God's changing and transforming. Why? Because you hear him. That's how he speaks. And he changes. Now let me give you an example. I want to ask Lori to come and begin to play. And any of the other team that's supposed to be with her. I don't know who that is. But this involves Lori, so... I can pick on her while her back is turned. Um, oh, now she's looking at me. All right. No, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We were having a conversation here in the last month. She had a situation that came up and something that she was doing. And um, kind of a, some personality things and some challenges. And she was sharing it with me and asking me, you know, what would you do with this? I mean, you know, how would you handle it? Well, in case you hadn't figured out, Lori and I are very different in our personality. So the way I would handle it is rarely ever the way she would handle it. And nine times out of ten, she's going to be right. Um, but I began to tell her. I'd tell that person right now how it is. All right? Tell them, you know, this is the way it is. You don't like it. You don't have to be here. All right? Nobody forced you. And I said a few things, and she just listened. She didn't take any of my advice, which is good. But I'm saying, and I knew that. I knew, I said, like, I told her, I said, Lord, I don't know why I'm telling you how I do it, because you know you're not going to do what I would do. The next day, we just kind of left it, and... 
I did, though, something that has changed through the years in me because I was falling off to sleep that night. And I thought, Lord, I told her what I would do, but I never really asked you what you would do. And that was the last thing I remember as I fell asleep, was that little conversation. The next day, we were at an event, and we were sitting there together. And in the midst of it, the Lord just began to run some things through my mind that pertain to this conversation that were 180 degrees different than what I said. But as, and I had, they had not even crossed my mind, but as they went through, I thought, that's exactly what Jesus would do. That's not what Troy would do. Might not even be what Lori would do, because she's way better than I am. Her flesh is way better than my flesh, but it's still flesh. See, we need to get this, folks. We keep going around comparing flesh to flesh. It doesn't matter if your flesh is a little bit better than my flesh, it's still flesh. We want to live by the Spirit. So here's what I'm telling you. How do you not have Gentile thinking? You have to keep hearing Jesus. All the time. Every day. In everything, especially in the things you think you already know how to do. Especially in those things. Remember the story of David? He goes and he sets up and has a battle and it describes the whole scene. And so he goes down and he does it a certain way and he conquers them and wins this great victory. And then just a chapter or two later, it says they're in the same place with the same enemy. The scene is identical, but it says he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord says, no, I don't want you to do it that way. I want you to do it this way. Same, see what we would have done, what I would have done. I shouldn't speak for you. What I would have done is like, I got this, Lord. I know how to do this. You already showed me. I'm a quick study. I got this figured out. We're just going to go do it the way we did it before. He says, no, I want you to stop and hear my voice. Listen. Someone is, people have asked me a lot of times about hearing the Lord. One of the things that I have found is a very simple, practical tool in listening for the Lord. Number one, spend a lot of time in his word, in his written word. Because you're not going to know whether these thoughts and promptings that come to you, whether they line up with it if you don't spend time in it. So spend time in it. And not just... Don't read it as though you already understand it. It's one of the things, every time I pick up this, I read it, and, and most of it I have read a lot before. But I try every time I read it, it's like, Lord, I'm reading this like I've never read it before. What do you want me to see that I've never seen? What do you want to say to me that I've never heard? How do you want to change me? Just ask him and believe that he'll do it. Here's another thing that I would tell you in that. These are just simple little things that I've learned through the years. Um, often my expectation was I'd ask and then, you know, kind of like a two-year-old, all right, it's been 30 seconds, I'm ready, give it to me. Sometimes he does, often he does not. Sometimes it's the next day, sometimes it's the next week, sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's longer. But when he speaks, you clearly remember, Lord, I ask you that, and this is the answer to that. He just makes it real to you. So be, understand that that process happens. 
But this was something shared with me. I heard Jimmy Evans say it years ago, and it's been very beneficial to me. James 1 says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. He gives generously, and he doesn't make you, and this is a, a different translation. Actually, Phillips, I think, says He doesn't make you feel foolish or ashamed for asking. See, sometimes people do. They make you feel foolish, like, you should already know that. Why aren't you even asking? Jesus never makes you feel foolish or ashamed for asking. So I will pray about something. Say a decision that needs to be made on any given day. And I'll pray and say, Lord, I need wisdom. I don't know exactly what to do with this. And then I'm alert. And sometimes it can happen immediately. Sometimes it takes a little while. But what I'm alert to is a thought that would come that I hadn't had before about this matter. It just came. It's like I hadn't even had that thought about this. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> Several years ago, Paul comes to me, Pastor Paul. He says, what do you think about having a camper? Well, as soon as he said camper, I thought, no, not of God, all right? I don't, my idea of camping is the Holiday Inn with slow room service, all right? I mean, that's, that's camp, that's roughing it, okay? Don't want camper, all right? So I'm thinking all this inside, but I didn't cut him off. I let him finish his thought. Well, we have this camper because we have people who come along and they have needs and they don't have a place to stay and sometimes they're in transition and so for two or three days we could give them a place and try to work with them and help them move from where they are to the next step in the journey. And again, he explained all that. That sounded really good. No, I don't want to do that. All right? That's what I'm feeling inside. But I'm learning. I'm learning how to say, okay, Lord, how do I hear what you want to say? So my response, my initial response was, no, we don't want to do that. And Paul's sitting there looking at me. I think Paul and Tammy both. I think they were both involved in this conversation with me. And so I'm praying as they're talking. It's like, Lord, what do you want to do with this? And I had this thought. It's like, just ask him to pray about it. And see if God gives further direction. See what he says. See if he makes some kind of, some kind of provision in some way that we weren't expecting. So that we'd know he's involved in this. So I said, let's pray about it. And you pray about it and see if God gives any more clarity on it before we do anything. I'm thinking, because he's not going to do anything because he agrees with me, all right? And this will all go away. The next day, somebody calls in. I think Nina gets them on the phone. I forget who. Somebody gets them on the phone. Somebody calls the church and says, hey, I got a camper I'm trying to give away. Would you guys like to have a camper? God, I thought we had an understanding here. Now that camper sits, is sitting out back today because the last few days somebody was in it again. It's not much to look at. That, what, that encourages them not to stay more than two or three days, all right? <laughs> See, what I'm telling you is this isn't just theory. It, it's practical. Because my initial thought was, no, we don't want to do that. I don't like that. That's not a good idea. But if I'm willing to stop and say, Lord, what do you want to say? I'm listening. And even sometimes, as that example will demonstrate, my heart wasn't fully in it, even though I was saying the right words. God's bigger than your heart. Yeah, thank you, Lord. He can work on that. He knows what your heart is. He always has. Folks, I want to tell you something. It's an exciting way to live. 
I'm still learning. Every day I'm learning how to do it. But I don't want to live any other way. I want to hear him. And I want to be transformed in my thinking. I don't want to think as though I don't know him. I want to think in a different way. And it starts with hearing his voice. You got to hear him. You say, Troy, is it audible? As Ron Dunn used to say, no, it's louder than that. It's louder than an audible voice. It's so strong and so real and so clear. You recognize that's not me and that's certainly not the enemy. That came from someplace else. And then it's, it's consistent with what he's revealed to us. It's never inconsistent with what he's revealed. Lord, would you help us? Would you help us? Help us desire to hear you, want to hear you. Lord, we don't want to think as the Gentile, as those who don't know you. We want to think differently. So help us. Let me ask you a question this morning. Just between you and the Lord, I don't need to know, nobody else needs to know. But here's the question I'm prompted to ask you. Do you really want to hear his voice? If so, tell him. Say, Jesus, I really want to hear your voice. At least some of the time. Or most of the time. Or part of the time. Whatever it is, be honest. He already knows. It's not like you're fooling him. Lord, I want to hear, some of the time I want to hear your voice. Or a good part of the time I want to hear your voice. And I'm asking you to do something about the rest of that time. my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Lord, help your people. Help us. Because we're not perfect at this. We're far from it. But oh Lord, you have stirred within us. We desire to hear you. We desire to know you and it be more than just human understanding. Lord, help your people today. Now, as you're still in this attitude of prayer, in a moment we will end our service and we always have prayer partners around um, just willing to pray with you about anything. But maybe you heard the Lord prompting you about something this morning and you just need someone to pray with you about it. Whatever it might be, that's what we're here for. That's what we're, we're not here to judge what you heard, to try to correct it. We're just here to pray with you. Say, Lord, make it clear what you're speaking. So, before you leave today, take advantage of that. We, it's our privilege to be able to pray with you. And if, maybe for the first time, you're hearing his voice saying, believe me, trust me, I am who I say I am, you could begin that journey with him today. Just believe him and respond. If you don't know how, tell one of the prayer partners, say, I believe he's speaking to me. I don't know him. I don't know what it means to have a relationship with him. They'd be happy to walk with you in that journey. Lord, help us today. Help us. Help us hear. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Lord, I keep thinking of James. Cause us to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. 
Make us hearers. Make us receivers today. In Jesus' name we pray.